Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture today is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, and also chapter 2, verse 15. Hear the word of God. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. From chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, to work it and keep it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The psychologist Robert Emmons, who is one of the leading experts on the psychological study of gratitude, says this, grateful living is possible only when we realize that other people and agents do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Gratitude emerges from two stages of information processing, affirmation and recognition. We affirm the good and we credit others with bringing it about. Close quote. This morning, um, I want to reflect with you together on what the Bible story tells us about the good gift of God's creation and the good gift of our being stewards of it. Okay, and we're going to just see how that might also connect with gratitude. So the first thing the Bible teaches is the goodness of creation. I mean, right there on the very first page of your Bible, you're learning about the goodness of creation. What is God doing at the beginning? He's making things, wonderful, beautiful things, day and night, land and waters, trees and vegetation, mountains and deserts, birds and fish. Over and over again, God sees that what he has made is good. And then finally, after God has completed the work of creation, we read, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was not just good, but very good. What's the significance of this pronouncement? You know, we might think that this is kind of like a quality inspection, like a craftsman inspecting his work and saying, this is good work, this will do. I think it's more like God is experiencing his creation, really taking it all in and finding deep pleasure in it. It's like when we eat a delicious meal or listen to a wonderful piece of music or watch a beautiful sunset, we say, this is good. This is so good. That's what God is doing here. He's delighting in his creation. He's enjoying and finding pleasure in what he has made. Notice when you read through the first chapter of Genesis that all of this goodness comes before humans are ever on the scene. Creation is good not because it's useful, not because it's good for humans, but simply because it is God's. Creation is good without us. Psalm 19 tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. 
Psalm 148 talks about the sun, the moon, the stars, fire and hail, snow and mist, mountains and hills, the animals and the trees, all praising God. It's like God is an artist and the world is his gallery. Like a piece of art reflects the glory and creativity of the artist, creation reflects the very goodness of God. A tree praises God just by being a tree. A mountain praises God just by being a mountain. It's very good. That's the first thing to see about creation. It's very good. Well, here's a second thing to notice about creation. It's a gift. It's not only good, it's given. Let's explore this a bit. In the ancient Babylonian creation myth, the Enuma Elish, the god Marduk creates human beings so that the gods can have slaves. In that story, we exist to get stuff done for the gods. We're underlings whose purpose is to do all the things that the gods don't want to do. So we exist because the gods need us. Creation isn't a gift. It's required in order for the gods to get what they want. The Christian story is so different. It affirms that before the world existed, God existed, and it insists that God was doing just fine without us. For all eternity, the Father has loved the Son in the Holy Spirit, and this eternal love within God is just as good as it gets. We shouldn't imagine God before creation as some kind of lonely, solitary being desperate for a world to keep him company. No, according to the Christian view, God was perfectly happy and fulfilled without us. So when God creates, it's not out of any kind of neediness. It's not from any desire to use creation for his selfish ends. See, God already has everything he needs. God doesn't need to create, but he does create. God opens the circle of relationship, welcoming the world in. God extends his love outward toward what is not God so that his love can be enjoyed by others. God shares his goodness and love with the world. And you see, it's all gift. Which means that if you want to start reading about grace in your Bible, you don't have to wait for Genesis chapter 3 or 4 or 5 or, or 12 with the call of Abraham. Um, you can start reading about grace right on the very first page. Genesis chapter 1. Theologian Daniel Migliori puts it like this. He says, quote, In the act of creation, God already manifests the self-communicating, other-affirming, community-forming love that defines God's eternal reality. So already right there on the first page of our Bibles, we're seeing God's eternal love expressed in the gift of creation. We, we see the givenness of creation explicitly in our passage. In verses 29 and 30, God says, I have given. And then we read about what he's given to us and to the animals. See, this is overflowing abundance, overflowing fruitfulness. There's so much life given for us to enjoy. God is just super abundantly generous in creation. Psalm 104 praises God for the riches of of his gifts and creation. It talks about the heavens and the earth and springs and streams and trees and birds and goats and badgers and wine and oil and bread and people and lions. And, and you know, the list could go on and on, but it says even our very breath is a gift from the Lord. I want to invite you just to turn your attention to that for a moment. Just take a deep breath, breathe in, 
and then breathe out. And you see that is a gift of God. Like there's nothing inevitable about it. Every breath is grace. I mean, that it's how radically dependent we are on the gift of God's creating work. Our very existence and every moment of our experience is a gift received from God. And so God's way of giving in creation is a little different than how we usually think about gifts. If I give you a gift on your birthday, there's a transfer of goods. The gift that was in my possession is now in your possession. But with God, it's different. Martin Luther got at the difference like this, quote, God is not like a carpenter or architect who after completing a house turns it over to its owner for his residence and then goes away. Rather, God initiated and executed the creation of all things through the word and he remains with his handiwork until the end. See, it's like God is just continually present with the world and with us, giving us everything we have at every moment. It's not that we're getting occasional gifts here and there from God. Existence itself is God's gift to us, new at every moment. So creation itself is a good gift, a very good gift. I wonder if you can see it and affirm the goodness of it. Can you credit God with bringing it about? Well, here's another gift. Within the creation, we're given the work of stewarding the earth. Now, stewardship is a word we don't use much. It's one of those churchy words that is usually, it's usually limited to conversations about buildings and budgets. The English word steward comes from the 11th century, refers to an official who controlled the domestic affairs of a household. So it comes from the roots sty, which means house or part of a house, and ward, which means keeper. And so put those together and you've got keeper of the house. So a steward was the person um, that the owner put in charge over the domestic affairs of what he owned. Listen again to verse 26 of our passage. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see, that's the language of stewardship. Or again, when we read, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, etc. See, that again is the language of stewardship. Or listen to chapter 2, verse 15 again. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. See, all this, all this language, dominion, subdue, work, take care, this is all the language of stewardship. Now, unfortunately, it's often been misread as giving humanity the right to use the world however we see fit. But that is a misreading. God doesn't give the world to us so that we can exploit it and destroy it. It's more like God makes us gardeners of his verdant creation, curators of his living gallery. God entrusts us with the work of being humble servants and careful learners and wise lovers of his good and beautiful world. Not to exploit and destroy and ruin it, but to care and cultivate it and protect it. This relationship of care for God's earth it flows naturally from a grateful heart. Like, parents, what did you do the first time your kid made a piece of artwork for you? Can you remember that? 
You probably pointed out things you really liked about it. You probably talked about how good it was. You probably thanked them for giving it to you. And then you probably put that piece of artwork up on the fridge. <laughs> you took care of it, at least for a while. What you probably didn't do is say, eh, could have been better, and then crumple it up and throw it away. Or imagine that someone has left you in charge of their custom-built home that they've carefully made and put great thought and care into. They spared no expense. And now they say, you get to live here, and I'm entrusting you with the care of this place. And I'm going to give you everything you need to care for it well. See, that would be a pretty awesome gift. What you probably wouldn't do is trash the place, right? Like instead, you'd look for ways to care for it and protect it and to help it thrive. That's the response of a grateful heart. Creation itself is a good gift. Our role as stewards of the earth is another good gift. How can we express our gratitude for these gifts? Let me just suggest a few ways. Um, first, we can enjoy these gifts. You know, a sign that you really love someone, at least one sign, is that you, you begin to love what they love. God loves the earth. God created it pronounces blessing over it, declares it good. And so if we are people who know and who love and who worship this God, well, then we, we can love what he loves. We love the earth too. Now, part of this just means enjoying creation. Um, the great pastor and theologian John Stott said that every Christian should have at least one hobby that connects them with the earth and helps them to enjoy nature. Now, personally, I tend to gravitate toward birding since it's the one hobby Jesus commanded. Um, you know, that was a big life-giving part of my sabbatical, spending extended time outside, watching birds. I mean, sometimes just marveling at the way sunlight landed on the leaves, putting myself in a position to delight in the beauty and goodness of creation and letting the goodness of the gift lead me back to the goodness of the giver. Some of us yesterday went out to humpback rocks for a hike. And before we left on that trip, we gathered in the parking lot and Greg reminded us that creation is shouting a sermon if we have ears to hear. See, there's something good about regularly putting ourselves in a position to hear that sermon. That can help us to cultivate and also express gratitude. So we can enjoy the gift. Um, second, we can get to know the gift. And, and maybe the best place to start is just in our own little pieces of earth that God has set us in. Like, what's going on in your yard? What birds do you see regularly? What creatures are your neighbors? Pay attention to the gifts in your own backyard. The technological revolution has brought us so many conveniences, but it has also separated us from the earth. We don't need to put our hands in the dirt to grow food anymore. We don't have to stalk through the forest to find our dinner or wade into the river to wield its power for irrigation and, and water. Now our food comes uh, just wrapped in cellophane and just kind of magically appears in the grocery store or, um, it, or in a can on a shelf. Like It's easier now for us to forget that everything on earth is a gift and comes at a cost. 
So one way to both cultivate gratitude and to express gratitude is simply to do little things to get in touch with the earth again. Another way we can express our gratitude for the gift of the earth is to care for it. We can express gratitude for the gift of our role as stewards by joyfully embracing that role. Now, I thought about trying to enumerate ways that we can better care for the earth, but then I remembered that you all have the internet too. And so for now, I just want to encourage you to um, do a little bit of work reflecting on this and finding out maybe with the people you live with, maybe with the people you go to church with, like what are simple ways we can better practice faithful stewardship of God's good creation? We can express our gratitude for the earth by caring for it. But now there's more to the story, isn't there? (laughs) Because remember, we struggle with gratitude. And we struggle with it right from the very beginning when that mysterious snake shows up and gets people to miss the forest of God's good gifts for the one tree that can kill them. Sin enters the world and the results are disastrous, not just for our relationship with God and our relationships with each other, but also for our relationship with the earth itself. So we reject the stewardship of God's world and instead of acting as image bearers, gratefully caring for creation, we either treat creation like it's God and we worship it, or we treat creation like we're God and we get to do it with it whatever we want. Dominion becomes domination. Ruling becomes abusing. Rather than bearing blessings, we become conduits of curses. Yesterday on our hike, I was talking with Dan McPherson, who pointed out that if we listen to the sermon creation is shouting now, maybe it's a lament. Maybe it's a cry for help. Sin has a cosmic scale. The effects of sin are not only spiritual and personal, but also ecological and environmental. Romans tells us that creation itself is in bondage to decay. It tells us that creation is groaning. So creation is a good gift, but it's also fallen into sin and ruin. It's in need of redemption. And so what does God do? He keeps giving gifts. He keeps giving grace. He does not give up on his world. Early on in the story, God promises to crush the head of the serpent, to undo evil that threatens all creation. It's like God will not allow evil to destroy his good and beautiful earth. There's an amazing place in Genesis chapter 9 after God has brought Noah and his family with all the animals um, through the flood and out of the ark where God says, I now establish my covenant with you and with every living creature that is with you. He gives a rainbow and says, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with with you. It shall be the sign of my covenant between me and the earth between God and the earth. In the Bible, a covenant is a saving relationship. When God enters into a covenant, it's because someone is in danger of sin and ruin and God is promising to save and deliver. And so here, it's like God is saying to the earth, not only am I your creator, I'm your savior. God's plan is to save the earth from sin. Um, This is a good gift, family, that God would commit himself to being the savior of the earth, saving the earth, not from its sin, but from ours from our ingratitude, from our lack of care, from our misshapen stewardship. 
you might think, well, that's just one verse. Maybe we shouldn't make too much of it. But, but no, God's commitment to the earth is actually a major arc of the Bible's story. In the Old Testament, God establishes laws that require his people to tend the earth well, to give it rest, to practice harvest principles that work with the natural rhythms of the land, to treat their animals well, to refrain from labor practices that demand too much from the land. The Psalms, as we've already seen, are full of the delight in God's creation. Um, for example, Psalm 98 says, Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing for joy together. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. The Old Testament prophets speak of the day when creation will be redeemed, when the wolf will lie down with the lamb, when the mountains and hills will clap their hands. And then remember in the story, the day comes when the creator God does come and visit his creation. He enters into it and becomes a part of it. He unites himself with his world as the human being, Jesus. In his life, Jesus models a life of grateful stewardship, always seeking to do the will of his father, loving God and loving God's world. In his death, Jesus takes upon himself the sin and rebellion of humanity, including our abuse and desecration of creation. He bears in his own body the curse of the earth. And then in his resurrection, Jesus rises to defeat sin, death, and the devil. A promise not just for each person who trusts in him, but also a promise for the final restoration of the world. The coming of Jesus is the coming of the redemption of all creation. And so we sing joy to the world. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And family, what do we see when we look to the end of the story? Another great gift. What we're told throughout the Bible, in the Psalms and the prophets, throughout the New Testament, and in the, at the very end in the book of Revelation, is that all of creation will be renewed. And so at the end, what do we see? Not individuals getting whisked away from this world to go to heaven forever. No, we have heaven coming down to earth, reuniting with the earth once more. We see God rescuing the earth and restoring his good purposes for creation. You see, God will keep his covenant with the earth just as he'll keep his promises to us. Listen again to what Robert Emmons says. He says, Grateful living is possible only when we realize that other people and agents do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Gratitude emerges when we affirm the good and credit others with bringing it about. Can you affirm the goodness of God's creation? Can you see the gift of it all? the good gift of creation, the gift of God's commitment to his world, the gift of God's plan to rescue and redeem it, the gift that God works through us and with us to care for his earth, but also the gift that, doesn't, that God doesn't leave the salvation of the earth up to us, the gift that God is free to work not only with us and through us, 
but also in spite of us. The gift that in the end, he will get all the credit, all the glory for bringing about the restoration of all things. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.